Galatians chapter 4, and I will like to read 21 through 31 again as we did last week. Galatians 4, 21 through 31. Paul writes, Tell me you who desire to be under the law, don't you hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave and the other by a free woman. But the one by the slave was born according to the flesh, while the one by the free woman was born as the result of a promise. These things are illustrations, for the women represent the two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai and bears children into slavery, and this is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren woman who does not give birth. Break forth and shout, You who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate are many more numerous than those of the woman who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of the promise. But just as then the child born according to the flesh persecuted the one born according to the Spirit, so also now. But what does the Scripture say? Throw out the slave and her son. For the son of the slave will never inherit with the son of the free woman. Therefore, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. May Yahweh bless His Word to our hearts. So last week we began looking at the last section in chapter 4 about Sarah who was the free woman, and Hagar, who was the servant woman. Hagar had a son by Abraham named Ishmael. And Hagar was the handmaid of Sarah and was given by Sarah to Abraham in order for Sarah to have children through a proxy. See, Sarah was barren. She had never birthed any children. And Sarah figured, well, it's not going to happen through me. So maybe the promise is supposed to happen through my handmaid, Hagar. But later on, Yahweh gave Sarah a son and named him Isaac, which means laughter. Because both Abraham laughed, he laughed so hard that he fell to the ground. And Sarah was eavesdropping inside the tent, and she laughed, even though she denied it. So they named him Isaac, which means laughter. And they laughed because it didn't make human sense. But as Yahweh asked Abraham and Sarah in Genesis 18, 14, when they laughed, He said, it's going to happen. Is anything too difficult for me? Ishmael came around by normal fleshly means. A husband went into a wife, procreated a child. But Isaac, he came, on the other hand, by abnormal spiritual means. Yahweh caused old Sarah to become pregnant even though she was barren and past the age of childbearing at 90 years old, she conceived and birthed a son by the promise of the Most High. One child was born according to the flesh. The other child was born according to the promise. Old Sarah's conception and birth of Isaac is a picture of salvation by the power and the promise of Yahweh. No one would ever be saved if not for Yahweh causing it to happen just like Sarah would have never conceived if not for Yahweh causing it to happen. It was a miraculous birth. And I'll pick this up with where we left off last week in Galatians 4, 24-26. That's our text for today. Let's read that again, beginning at verse 24, where it says, these things are illustrations. For the women represent two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai and bears children into slavery. This is Hagar. 
Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. You see that word illustrations in verse 24? The Greek word there sounds a lot like allegory. And the KJV uses the word, this is an allegory, or these are allegories. An allegory means speaking in a figure where one thing represents or corresponds to something else. And Paul's point is that these two things that he's discussing, Sarah and Hagar, Isaac and Ishmael, they stand for or represent two other things. Sarah and Hagar, or excuse me, Paul reads the account of Abraham, Sarah and Hagar, and he derives from that account a higher spiritual meaning. It's actually a Hebrew midrash. Brother TJ has talked a lot about that in Ephesians. But Paul performs a midrash on a text in the Old Testament where we have a historical account that has a, a meaning in the present. But there's something that Yahweh is doing through that and in that historical account that bears forth a greater picture or a greater meaning in the future. So, Paul says that the women represent two covenants. And the normal tendency for our minds, when we read of two covenants, the normal tendency, and I understand, is to think that, well, he's talking about the old covenant and the new covenant. The two covenants. Most commentators go that route. It is true that the new covenant replaces the old covenant. It is also true that the new covenant is better than the old covenant. It's established on better promises and it has a better high priest. The new covenant is superior because of what Yahweh accomplishes in His own work in sending us the perfect and sinless high priest in Yeshua the Messiah. And in writing the law internally rather than just giving the law externally. But, I think Paul has the old covenant in view at Mount Sinai as verse 24 mentions Mount Sinai twice so we can't really get around that, right? It's the old covenant, Mount Sinai covenant. Yahweh spoke all these words saying, I'm Yahweh who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And even that's even a covenant of grace in one sense because the children of Israel would have never been able to be given the law had they not been graciously brought out of Egypt's bondage by the power of Yahweh working through prophet Moses. So in a sense, that's a covenant of grace in one sense. But I think that the, the second covenant in view here as being juxtaposed to the Mount Sinai covenant is the Abrahamic covenant. These women represent two covenants. Hagar represents the Mount Sinai, the old covenant. And I think Sarah goes back to the even older covenant made with Abraham. Now it might be said that the Abrahamic covenant and the new covenant are two different ways of speaking about the same covenant. Remember, the promises were made to Abraham and to his seed. Yes. He saith not unto seeds as of many, but unto his seed, one, yes. that is Christ. Yes. So I think Paul hearkens back here to what he stated in Galatians 3.15-18. I preached through those. Regarding the promises made to Abraham versus the law that was given 430 years after the promise. And I, I take that to mean the whole law the entire law, codified or written down on stone and in a book. In Genesis, the promises were made to Abraham and to the Messiah, to his seed. The law that came 430 years later, the Mount Sinai law, the Old Covenant, the Ten Commandments, statutes, judgments, the whole ball of wax, 
That cannot negate the promise and the oath that Yahweh made to Abraham back in the time period of Genesis. And the reason this is significant is because the covenant that Yahweh made with Abraham was a unilateral, unconditional covenant. It wasn't based on anything that Abraham had to do. That's what unilateral means. It's based upon one party. And the agreement, the oath in the agreement was made, in this case, by the Almighty. Yes. Brother Dan read our text in Genesis 15. Abram was asleep when Yahweh passed through the pieces and depicted as the, the, the torch or the, the lamp. The covenant at Mount Sinai, when Yahweh gave those words in Exodus 20, just before in Exodus 19, He says, if you do this, then I'll do this. That's what's called a bilateral covenant. It's based upon two parties. Not just the giver, but also the receiver. So the Mount Sinai covenant, or the old covenant, came with a condition of obedience in order to receive the benefits. The Abrahamic covenant was based solely on the promise of Yahweh. Genesis 12 and Genesis 15. We can look at it like this. One covenant is based upon our own ability to accomplish relationship. And I don't know how that's going for you, but if my covenant with Yahweh was based upon my ability, then I messed up a long time ago. Praise Yahweh, I've asked Him to forgive me. I've gotten better with time by the help of His Spirit, but I messed that one up a long time ago. That's the Mount Sinai covenant. The other covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, is based solely upon Yahweh's ability to accomplish relationship with you. And that's why it's superior to the Mount Sinai covenant. Hagar and Sarah picture this. Hagar represents Mount Sinai because one, she was the slave woman, and two, she gave Abraham a child by normal means. Sarah represents the covenant made with Abraham because she is the free woman and she gave Abraham a child by supernatural means. Yahweh let Sarah grow old and feeble. He allowed that. He let that happen before she ever gave birth. And the reason He did was because He was showing that what was taking place was solely by His power. Yes, Abraham went into Sarah. Yes, they had marital relations. But that had been happening for years and no child had ever been born. Yahweh had to step in and cause that conception. And He did so not just for the immediate blessing upon Abraham and Sarah, but to show in picture, in allegory, what He would accomplish in the hearts and minds of His people in salvation in the New Covenant. Notice in verse 25 that Paul says the present Jerusalem is in slavery with her children. He says, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and it corresponds to the present Jerusalem. And she is in slavery with her children. And I want you to realize, sometimes we don't realize this because we sometimes read the Bible and think that it's written to us. And it's not written to us, it's written for us. But the Bible was not written to us. And when Paul says present Jerusalem, he's not talking about Jerusalem in 2019 or in 1948. Paul's talking about Jerusalem in the first century. When he's writing the epistle with those large letters that we talked about a couple weeks ago with his own hand, he mentions present Jerusalem meaning first century A.D. What's going on in Jerusalem and at the temple first century A.D.? And let me tell you, it was a mess. The leaders in Israel had rejected and crucified the Messiah. The parable of the vineyard says that the landowner finally said, well, at last I'll send my son and surely they'll accept my son. But when he sent his son, they killed him and they threw him out like trash out of the vineyard. 
And that was a picture that when Yahweh sent His Son, the leaders, the chief priests, the scribes, the elders in Jerusalem, they rejected Him and they crucified Him. They hollered out, crucify Him, crucify Him. And they rejected Him. And then even when He resurrected from death and ascended to the Father, later on through the book of Acts, we read about Peter and John and Stephen and they're all persecuted. They're whipped. They're lashed. They're beaten. One of them was stoned to death. Because they were disciples of the Messiah. And what the Messiah prophesied the night of His betrayal, if they hated Me, they're going to hate you too. That was taking place. Present Jerusalem was a mess. The promised Messiah that had been promised in the Hebrew Scriptures had shown up. He had fulfilled the prophecies. The great prophecy of Isaiah 52 and 53 had been fulfilled. Where He was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. But they said, no, He's not the guy. He's not the one. Blasphemy. Blasphemy, they said. Well, Yeshua had already pronounced rebuke and punishment upon present Jerusalem in Matthew 23. When He said, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, chief priests, rulers, elders in Jerusalem. And then at the end of Matthew 3, Yeshua walked out of the temple and He said, Behold, your house is left to you desolate. Desolate means uninhabited. Yeshua leaving the temple was a symbol that Yahweh's presence would no longer be there. First century Jerusalem was a mess. You might as well have written Ichabod on the door, just as was done in the days of Eli and Samuel. Ichabod means that the glory, speaking of the glory of Yahweh, is gone. It's departed. It's not here anymore. Just as Yahweh removed His name from Shiloh, Many, many years before, He removed His name from Jerusalem and that took place in the first century later on when, when the Romans, like a javelin in the hand of Christ, came into the city and they ransacked it. And Josephus records around a million, a million Israelites were slaughtered. And the temple was destroyed. The priesthood was destroyed. It was corrupt. The temple had become corrupt. They had turned the Father's house into a den of robbers. Yeshua had to come in there and overturn the money changers' tables and take a whip to drive them out one time. Take in my Father's house that is supposed to be a house of prayer for all people and you turned it into something it was never intended to be. Well, many people in Israel, Paul says, Hagar's like the present Jerusalem in slavery with her children. Many people in Israel and many of the Gentiles who received the false gospel of the Judaizers were trusting not in the seed of Abraham. They were trusting in the present Jerusalem and the earthly temple to save them. And it was never intended to do so. They had placed their faith and their trust and their confidence in the outward works of the law in Judah that set them apart from the heathen peoples. I want to point out here just briefly, because sometimes you preach hard like that and people mistake you for saying something, but I want to point out here that I do not speak against any outward work of law that is done in humility, and is done as a supplement to our relationship with the Messiah. Any outward work of law is good so long as it is seen and used for the purpose it was designed. And that doesn't even just stand for signs and symbols like circumcision and tassels and things like that in the Old Covenant, but it also stands for signs and symbols in the New Covenant. Things like baptism into Christ or the Lord's Supper These are great outward symbols that show inward realities, but if you're just 
treating them frivolously, baptism or the Master's Supper, if they're treated frivolously and they don't really mean anything to you, the outward symbol and sign becomes meaningless because you're not doing it for the right reason. You're not using it for the right purpose. And that's what had happened in Judah. They were taking the outward signs and the symbols of Judah, primarily circumcision, and they were using it like it was do not pass go ticket to the kingdom of heaven like nothing else mattered as long as we're snipped in the flesh everything else is okay Paul says in Galatians 6 that those who are circumcised don't even keep the law themselves but they would have you Gentiles circumcised so they can boast not in the cross of Christ but they can boast in your flesh so when we begin to use the outward works of law as a means by which we are forgiven or tools to aid in justification, they, they become meaningless. They become worthless. It's like trying to use a tape measure to crank up a car. I used that illustration the other day. If I need to crank my car up, I go get the car keys. I don't go get the tape measure, right? If I need to measure a board, I don't go get the car keys. I get the tape measure. Tools are to be used for a purpose. And when you begin to use them for something they were never designed for, they become useless and worthless in that regard. So this is what Hagar and Ishmael represent. Two camps of Gentiles in the first century. There were some Gentiles that believed that converting to the Hebrew faith by getting circumcised is what made them first class. It's what forgave their sins. Placed them in a right relationship with Yahweh. Salvation by the flesh rather than salvation by the promise. Trusting in the flesh rather than trusting in the promise. I have to say, the more that I study, I think that when Paul talks about trusting in the flesh or trusting in works, I think that a lot of theology has gotten mixed up there in thinking that the law is no good. I think what Paul's talking about is trusting in the flesh means trusting in in lineage, trusting in who you are, trusting in how you were born. Because remember, the only reason that Judahites or Israelites were circumcised because they were born an Israelite. They were born into a family where a mom and a dad both served the Creator. So they were circumcised on the eighth day. So they trusted in their family lineage. They trusted in their genealogy. Salvation by the flesh. But Sarah and Isaac represent the heavenly Jerusalem. The heavenly Jerusalem. And she is called our mother. In Galatians 4 verse 26. We forget sometimes that there exists a heavenly tabernacle, a heavenly Jerusalem, a heavenly city, and a heavenly high priest. Yeshua isn't just up there since He went to heaven doing this. When am I going to go back, Dad? (laughs) He's not doing that. He's actually performing His priestly duties in the heavenly tabernacle as our perfect sinless high priest. That which was made by hands here upon the earth was patterned by that which was made by Yahweh in the heavens. The Jerusalem above is the city of Yahweh. It is the city that is spoken of in Hebrews 11 that the men and women of faith like Enoch and Abraham, so forth and so on, Abel, that they all waited for, that they all longed for. It says, but they now aspire to a better land, a heavenly one. Therefore Yahweh is not ashamed to be called their Almighty, for He has prepared a city for them. Now that was written by the author of Hebrews while present first century Jerusalem existed. It was before it was ransacked. But the men and women of faith, the true men and women of faith, weren't looking to dwell in earthly Jerusalem. They were looking for a city whose builder and maker was Elohim. This is the city that John the Revelator saw coming down out of heaven in Revelation 21. And he said that she, 
our mother Jerusalem looked like a bride that was adorned for her husband. The holy city, the new Jerusalem. And when John saw this city and he saw the new heaven and the new earth coming down out of heaven, and he heard a loud voice from the throne and it said this, Look, the Almighty's dwelling is with men and He will live with them. They will be His people and Yahweh Himself will be with them and be their Almighty. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will no longer exist. Grief, crying, and pain will exist no longer because the previous things have passed away. That's what we are looking to. That's what we have faith will happen, brothers and sisters. That's what we have confidence will happen. That's why we come here week after week, feast after feast, Sabbath after Sabbath, to rehearse over and over and over again. That's why we come, whether we feel like it or whether we don't. We come because we believe. We have faith that Yahweh Himself will be our Mighty One. And He will dwell with us in that city. We believe in Yahweh the King. He is the builder. He is the maker of the holy city. He patterned and He fashioned the earthly city after the heavenly one that existed prior. He kept His promise to Abraham and to His seed, Yeshua the Messiah. He places new hearts with our bodies. He is writing His law. He's in the process of writing the entirety of His law upon our hearts and upon our minds and it will be fully accomplished at the final consummating coming of Christ, the second coming, and completely written on your mind and nobody will have to teach one another know Yahweh or know the commandments because we'll all know Him from the least to the greatest. He'll remember our sins no more. We won't even have an inclination to sin. That desire to sin from the natural Adam will be removed out from us. We'll be glorified, immortal beings, never to die again. The same Yahweh that raised up the Messiah from the dead will also quicken our mortal bodies at the second coming of Christ. We won't even wipe away our tears. The text says Yahweh will wipe away every tear from their eyes. We don't even get to wipe the tears away. See, Yahweh does it all. This is what Sarah and Isaac represent. The work of Yahweh Trusting in His promises, relying on His strength, giving all honor and glory to Him and what He has accomplished in sending us His Son, Yeshua, in order to save us from our sins. There were two types of Galatian converts, and I'll close with this today. One, those who trusted in the flesh. One who bought into the Judaizers' influence and said, man, maybe I am second class or maybe I'm really not forgiven. And Judaizers said, yeah, jump through this hoop and you'll be okay. They trusted in the flesh. They wanted to become a, a Bane Abraham, a son of Abraham. By natural, normal, fleshly means. That made sense. But there was another group of Gentiles that didn't cave in to the false gospel. They didn't cave in to doing what the Judaizers wanted them to do for that purpose. They trusted in the promise, the seed of Abraham. And by faith, they were sons of Abraham. Galatians 3, verse 7, and I think verse 9, it says, Know this, that those who are of faith, these are the children of Abraham. The Bible talks about the household of faith. Yeshua says, those that do the will of my father are my brother, my sister, and my mother. And He said, this is the will of the Almighty, that you believe in the one that He hath sent. True children of Abraham are those that have faith in the promised seed. One group converted to become Hebrews. They thought they were forgiven of their sins by that. The other group trusted in the promise that Yahweh made to Abraham back in Genesis 12-15. through 15. 
They believed with Paul that the seed of Abraham was the Messiah, was Christ. And by trusting in the finished work of Christ, they were forgiven. And they were given first class status as citizens of the heavenly Jerusalem. Right now. We've not come to a mountain that can be touched, but we have come to our mother, the heavenly Jerusalem. And it is a spiritual reality right now. It will become a natural reality in the future. But all of that that I talk about as a natural physical reality in the future at the second coming of Christ is a spiritual reality right now. Brother TJ preached through Ephesians 2 and part of Ephesians 2 says that we are seated with Him in the heavenly places. Present tense. Not physically, but spiritually. And one day we will be in the flesh. May we today be like this second group, the Galatians that didn't cave into the false gospel, but believed and trusted in the gospel of grace in Christ. Please never forget that you are what you are by the grace of Yahweh. If Yahweh left you, each and every one of us, if Yahweh had left you to yourself, you would never have salvation. You would never be regenerate. You would try and try and try by the flesh and it would never be good enough to accomplish eternal salvation. But when Yahweh does something, He does it perfectly. And He does it right. And He can reach down and take the lowest of the low in the minds of man and bring them up to seat them with princes. He can take someone out of the garbage dump and bring them up to seat them with the Messiah. And you can be a joint heir with the Messiah. And everything that the Messiah inherits, you too can inherit. But it is by grace, through faith, and not that of yourselves. It is the gift of Yahweh, not of works. Least any man should boast. For you are His workmanship, created in Christ unto good works, which Yahweh hath before ordained that you should walk in them. See, Never forget that you are what you are by the grace of Yahweh. Everything you do is because of His grace. Everything. Without Him you can do nothing. Without Him you cannot accomplish anything. Obedience to the commandments. People that have heard me preach for a long time know that I believe in being obedient to the commandments. But obedience to the commandments comes as a result of what Yahweh has done for me. It's not because I was such a good person to start with and I said, well, I think I need to just keep these commandments. Because Matthew decided to do it. No, it's not how it happened. Yahweh quickened me. Yahweh made me alive. Yahweh gave me a desire. Yahweh put a new heart in me. And now I want to be obedient. Because that's what pleases Him. He changed my nature from an old man to a new man in Christ. Give Him all the thanks. I will not boast in anything. No gifts, no power, no wisdom. Give Yahweh thanks. You would not be here today if it had not been for Yahweh on your side.